The Edge of the World Art Studio is proud to present Helen of the Iron Horse, written by Paris Danielle Lee. Artwork by Helen Rachel Lee. Music by Fish Zombie the Onions. And special thanks to Spooky the Cat for her contributions, fuzzy as they might be. Chapter 92 Pharaonology 1877 April 21st, New York Hades walked through the long white hall. The hospital smelled like both bleach and urine, as if the spirit of sanitation was forever at war with the forces of filth and decay. He knew where he was going. He always knew. But even without his divine gift of direction, he would have known. These halls and this hospital were becoming a second home to him. He was considering demanding them supply him with an office. He stopped before the door to Leda's room, and he could hear her crying inside. From his pocket, he pulled a gold key. The head of the key was molded in the shape of the sun. It was the mate to the silver moon key Persephone had given away. He had a feeling it was going to be some time before he saw that one again. He placed the key in the lock and opened the door. Leather straps held Leda down to her bed. Hades didn't speak as he undid the restraints. When she was free, Leda curled into a ball and began to cry harder. Hades picked her up. She no longer had the body of the woman she was. Now she was the little girl she had been. As he set her against his chest, she wrapped her arms around his shoulders and cried into his neck. It's okay. It's okay. It's all over now. There is nothing left to cry about. He held her, petting her back. I am going to take you home now. We will have a feast with fruit and cheese. You can have cake and wine. After, we'll ride through the fields. The flowers are in bloom, and it shouldn't be missed. Please don't cry, Hades pleaded. Leda took in a deep breath and sniffled hard, rubbing her nose against his collar. But Helen, I couldn't save Helen. The only person who can ever save Helen is Helen. But don't worry. We left her with someone who will teach her how. Now, come on. How about some ice cream? Hades felt Leda nod yes. Then, holding her tight in his arms, he carried her down the stairs. Penelope stepped off the carriage. She had her carpet bag in one hand when she turned to me and offered me her other. Come, Helen. Hold on to my hand and don't let go. At first I didn't move, but... Penelope didn't yell or insist. She just stood waiting for me to take her hand. I moved forward. I set my hand in hers. She very gently held me. She very gently held on to me and helped me out of the carriage. We stepped out in front of the large building. Beyond it were fields that seemed barren and unattended to. This is what you found? What was this place? Penelope asked Odysseus. Odysseus was already unloading the carriage with the help of the carriage driver. There was a suitcase for him, a suitcase for me, and three suitcases, a steamer trunk, a makeup case, and the carpet bag for Penelope. 
It had been a winery, but there was a disease that ran through the vineyard. The entire thing had to be burned and plowed under. The winery didn't recover, and has been vacant for the last two years. Now it's our school. Eh, okay, that seems sufficient. Have the others arrived? Yes. The headmaster wants to see you and Helen. You'll find his office up the stairs beyond the foyer. Sadly, he's already taken the bigger office, the better room, and laid claim to the library. What about his doctor? His office is to the right of the headmaster's. There really isn't another one for you, but we can reassess rooms and maybe squeeze something in one of the spare bedrooms. (sighs) I'm sure we can find something that will be sufficient. Penelope claimed as she turned to the house. Very well. Let's go see this headmaster. The headmaster's office had very little in it. He had arrived earlier and had not had time to decorate. The office had a desk, a chair, and some boxes that had to be unpacked. He turned and looked at us as we entered. Headmaster? Penelope asked. I am he. My name is Brian Toussaint, and you are? Hi. My name is Lucy Rightway. I'm Helen's tutor, and I'll be her etiquette and diplomacy teacher as well. For now. But I want you to know I'm expecting to fill those positions myself. I'm keeping you on for a week. Then you and your husband can return to New York. With all due respect, I don't feel that would be wise. It's taken me some time to gain Helen's trust, and it would be best for her if I stayed. I'm sorry? Are you a doctor of psychiatry? Can you honestly be trusted to know what's best for her? The headmaster asked. I didn't like him. His face looked angry. I hid behind Penelope, still holding onto her hand, but keeping her between me and him. No. What I am is a woman, and I understand what she needs to feel safe. This isn't about her feeling safe. This is about her learning to deal with the world as it is. That means what she feels is not important, but how she acts. I appreciate that you've come this far, but Helen is my job now and I do not need a scullery maid questioning my decisions. Leave Helen, you're dismissed. That wouldn't be wise. Again, you continue to question me. Don't bother unpacking. Go home. We can handle this from now on without you. This is your last warning. You are making a very big mistake. Leave. The headmaster pointed to the door. Penelope turned and squatted down next to me. I have to go. I don't want to. So, I promise you, instead, I won't be far, and I won't return to New York without you. She whispered to me. I gave her the slightest nod to tell her I understood. Penelope stood and walked out of the office. Shut the door, the headmaster commanded. She shut the door, and then she stayed next to it, leaning her head back so that it rested against the wood. I stood in the center of the room, and the headmaster stood behind the desk. Come forward. I didn't move. I stood still, scared that Penelope had gone. I was alone. I I didn't know what to do. I said, come forward. He tried again, but I still didn't move. He came towards me. I took a step backwards. He moved to grab my arm. I ran to the corner of the room and sat down. Do not defy me. You will find that I will not coddle you. Stand here before me. He pointed to the floor. 
in front of him, but I didn't move. I just sat in the corner. He came towards me. I had nowhere to go. He grabbed my arm and drugged me forward as he did. I tried to run back, but my feet slipped on the carpet and my body fell as he drugged me to the center of the room. I reached out and I tried to grab something. I pulled down one of the boxes. It opened and its contents spilled onto the floor. There were pens, ink, paper, a blotter, other things meant for his office. I found what I wanted. Gah! Damn it! He yelled as I stabbed him in the leg with the letter opener. I held onto it and ran back to my corner. You fucking little bitch, you stabbed me! He screamed. The door opened, and Penelope walked back in. She moved quickly to stand between me and him. I was almost engulfed under her skirt. I told you it was a bad idea. She fucking stabbed me. (laughs) You're lucky she's not that tall or she would have gone for your heart. Now, maybe you'll listen to me? Get her out of here. Take her to her room. (laughs) Yes, sir. You hired a doctor. You should see him about that. Penelope pointed to his leg. Come, Helen, let me show you to your room. She held her hand out again for me. This time I took it immediately. But instead of guiding me, she picked me up and held me. My arms wrapped around her neck. She carried me out of the room. Good girl, she whispered as we left. Marinology? asked Penelope, as she stood next to me in the doctor's office. I was sitting on an examination table, watching the old man unpack a scientific model of the human head. There were marks with segments and lines. Each segment had a number on it. Yes, phrenology. The brain is not one organ. It's a system of many organs. I personally have identified 37 different segments, each with its own faculty. As we exercise and practice the skills each faculty and segment controls, it grows in size and puts pressure on the skull. The shape of the skull can determine capacity for any particular skill or ability. The mental capacity and personality or aptitude towards violence, depression, even joy, can be measured by measuring the shape of a patient's skull. Pollux explained as he pulled down a chart from the wall. It was a diagram of the brain similar to the model. It was sectioned off with numbers and corresponding lines. He pointed to it as he spoke. This is the language center of the brain. Every language we learn is stored here. If it were to be damaged, or if it were smaller than it should be, we would be able to determine whether or not Helen is capable of speech. He smiled at Penelope. Surely, Doctor, she was capable of speech before. It's only been a matter of months, not years or decades. Penelope frowned at him. Before we continue with treatment, we must have a proper diagnosis. We must know why she won't speak. What if she won't speak because she has nothing to say? Like any problem, every aspect of it must be scientifically studied and eliminated as a possibility before we can continue. Can you help me with these? Pollux pulled out from his medical bag a pair of scissors, a straight razor, some shaving soap, a brush, and a small mug. What are these for? 
we're going to shave her head. We are not. It's the best way to get a proper model. We need to shave her head, and then we will be able to take a plaster cast. Then I can study it without her needing to be present. Absolutely not. I will not allow this. Penelope stood in front of me. I reached up and touched my hair. I liked my hair. I didn't want him to cut it. The shape of Helen's head has not changed. It's the same shape it was before the incident as after. There is no information you can gain from the shape of her head about the capacity of her mind. I don't care what your medical books claim. I'm not letting you shave this girl's head, so put that away. Penelope ordered him. He began to question himself. Well, there are other ways, but they will take a lot longer. The doctor removed a set of measured calipers from his bag. May I? He pointed to me. Penelope stepped aside. If you must, as long as it doesn't hurt her. I promise. I'm only taking measurements of her head. I'm not going to hurt her. Pollux insisted. I scooted back away from him and the strange claw-like calipers. Don't worry, Helen. I won't let him hurt you. He's just going to take measurements. If he removes a single hair from your head, I will stab him in the throat with his own scalpel. Penelope told me while holding my hand. Pollock stiffened and looked at Penelope. She stared back at him, daring him to question her again. He didn't. He took a notebook and a pen and began to take measurements of my head. Writing the measurements down onto his notebook, he silently went to work. When he was finished, he set the notebook down on his desk and then took his seat behind it. He searched through his things until he found other notebooks, stacked them on his desk, he shuffled through them, choosing one seemingly at random. He stood from the desk and walked back to us. I need to ask Helen a series of questions, he explained. She won't answer you. There are no right or wrong answers. However she answers the questions, even if she chooses not to, is important in determining her mental state. All right, go ahead then. Hello, Helen. He finally addressed me directly. I said nothing. Tell me, what day is it? He asked. I didn't answer. He made a note in his notebook. She doesn't know what day it is, Penelope explained. She was right. I didn't know. It's not important. This is establishing a first meeting. I have made a note she did not answer and did not know the answer. Now, Helen... Who is the president of France? How could she possibly know that? Please don't interrupt. It's important to see her reaction to the question, whether or not she answers it or knows it. She's only been in France for two days. And most of it has been travel. I would think you would get a better reaction from her if you asked her what the president of the United States was. All right, Helen. Who is the president of the United States? Pollux asked me. I knew that one. Wasn't it Ulysses? It was a man named Ulysses, wasn't it? I, I wasn't sure. I don't really follow politics. Pollux made a note in his notebook. Penelope huffed and looked off into the distance. She doesn't know that either, Penelope said. One more question for today. What is your name? He asked, ignoring Penelope. I looked up at her. You can answer him if you wish, she told me. 
I looked back at the doctor and then back to Penelope and shook my head no. She knows the answer. She just doesn't want to tell you. I see. Pollock said as he took his notebook and sat down. What did any of that tell you? Quite a bit, actually. Helen seems to be alert and thoughtful. She has a strong faculty to emote. She's not absent. She's just silent. For example... Pollux opened the top drawer of his desk and pulled out a small rubber ball. He threw the ball across the office. I watched it bounce off the wall and then roll onto the ground and under the desk. Notice how she saw that. She tracked the ball with her eyes and her mind. Even now, I bet she is wondering whether or not she could retrieve the ball from under the desk. I was. She answered the questions. I could see the answers beneath her eyes, and you could sense them. You answered for her, and so she didn't need to talk. I think you may be adding to the problems we are having. Me? If you do everything for her, she will not need to do anything for herself. I would have you leave during our sessions, but I already know the disaster that came of that with the headmaster. I have a feeling you don't have any respect for me as a doctor, but I promise you I have studied the mind for over forty years, both physically and mentally. There is no doctor in France with better credentials. Pollux explained. Why are you telling me this? I'm not here to approve your appointment. I'm not telling it to you. I'm telling it to her. You and her are linked, tied to each other mentally. I can see if I am to gain her trust, so I can help her. I need to gain yours first. Would you like a candy? Pollux opened a jar on his desk. It was an opaque porcelain white jar, and when he opened it, I noticed it was full of hard candies. Penelope shook her head no. And you, Helen, would you like one? I looked at Penelope. You can answer him if you like, she responded. I shook my head yes. I would like a candy. Pollux got up from the desk and offered me the jar. I took a red one and popped it in my mouth. I am her guardian and protector. I will teach her what she needs to know to survive. She will grow in time, and when she's ready, and only when she's ready, will I allow her to fight her war, Penelope said with a sharp clip in her voice. Don't be angry with me. We have the same goal. We both are here to help her. But to do that, I must establish a baseline. Mental health is about understanding what is real and what is not. The questions establish her hold on reality. Whether she can answer them correctly, whether or not she wishes to, whether or not she is combative and will not answer them even if she knew the answers. Helen. He looked directly into my eyes. Today is April 21st. The President of the United States is Rutherford B. Hayes, and your name is Helen Taggett. Do you understand? I shook my head yes. I will ask you these questions again tomorrow. I would like you to answer me correctly. Tomorrow will be April 22nd. All the other answers will be the same. Do you still understand? I shook my head yes. Thank you. That will be enough for today. You may take her back to her room. He said to Penelope. And Mrs. Rightway. I know pharaonology has its flaws but it establishes a system of study and a way to move forward. Sometimes 
It's not important whether something is wrong or right. What is important is whether or not it works. That night I tried to sleep, but I found it very difficult. The bed felt too high, the blankets were stiff, the pillows smelled different, it wasn't cold, but the air felt too damp. Nothing seemed right, and every new and strange aspect of this new place seemed wrong to me. I tossed and turned, trying to find comfort when I felt I wasn't alone. Standing in the darkness, just beyond the window was a man. He wore all black, and all I could see of him was his silhouette against the moonlit window. Hades stepped out of the shadows. I screamed. Ah! I jumped from the bed, and I scrambled across the room. I found a vase of flowers, and I threw it at him. He caught it and set it aside. Helen, stop. I'm not here to hurt you. He tried to say, but in my panic, I continued to look for weapons. I found a book and threw it at him as well, still screaming. Ah! Helen, this is no way for a young lady to act. He tried to explain, but he frightened me. He scared me like no one had ever scared me before. I fell into a chair, breaking it. I took one of the legs, and I held it in front of me like a sword. Penelope entered the room in a panic, looking around quickly to see what was wrong. She stepped in front between me and Hades. What is wrong with you? You can't just pop into people's bedrooms without scaring the crap out of them. Me? You're blaming me. I'm good with children. I've never had one react like this before. Yeah, you're good with children. Dead children. Have you ever had to deal with one that was alive? Okay, fair. Why are you here? I promised to deliver a message, and I always keep my promises. If you could calm down, and maybe calm her down for a moment, I will say what I need and go. <sighs> Penelope turned to me and knelt on the ground, so that she was my height. Looking into my eyes, she said, Helen, I want to introduce you to someone. This is Hades. He is the lord of the underworld and the god of death. You should treat him with respect, in spite of his bad manners. He will not harm you, and I will be sure he doesn't sneak into your bedroom any more. Okay? I shook my head yes, and I let her take the chair leg from my hand. She stood, and once again faced the god of death. Okay? Go ahead. Give your message, she told him. He looked sad for a moment, and... Like Penelope, he knelt down to talk to me. Your mother has given me a message. She wants you to know she is sorry. She did everything within her power to keep you safe. She knows she failed, but she wants you to know that she loved you deeply. She wants you to know it's not your fault. Do not blame yourself for her failing. Do not carry the guilt of her death on your shoulders. She loved you, and she wants you to be happy and free. He stood back up and began walking towards the staircase, suddenly in the floor across the room. Wait, I said out loud, my voice hoarse and broken from lack of use. How did she die? I asked. Hades turned to me before he spoke. Your father had her institutionalized and then paid the doctors to over-medicate her until her heart stopped. He killed her? Yes. I had nothing more to say. 
I collapsed on the ground. Penelope picked me up and carried me back to bed. She held me as I cried. I did not see Hades disappear down the staircase. I did not see the stairs disappear behind him. This has been Helen of the Iron Horse, written by Paris Lee, artwork by Helen Lee, performed by Helen and Paris. All characters within are fictional and bear no intentional resemblance to anyone living or dead, except, I guess, for Helen and Paris. See more of our work at edgeoftheworldart.com. If you would like to comment on the show or ask any question, please email us at Helen of the Iron Horse at gmail.com. The proceeding was made with the love and encouragement of all of our friends at the LA LGBT Center's Trans Lounge. Thank you. Thank you.